If you have your Bible with you this morning, open with me to Mark chapter 10. We're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. And again, I want to say happy Mother's Day to all you mamas out there. I want you to know I didn't create a Mother's Day sermon per se, but there's plenty for moms in this sermon, just so you know that. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, and kind of the, 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 the sub point for moms is this, you don't, you have a savior who understands your plight. I want you to understand that like being the, all, all the good stuff and all the frustrating stuff about being a mom, you have a savior. There's at least one man that has walked this earth that understands you. Okay. Amen. Or we'll see. All right, open your Bibles with you to Mark chapter, chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 32 in Mark chapter 10. We've been journeying with Jesus and his disciples, and his disciples um, are, are quite hilarious. If you slow down to actually read the Gospels in, 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 the, point, in the way of missing the point. Um, they, they are um, hearing Jesus say things. He repeats himself. This will be the third time he actually lets them know what's going to happen. And immediately following that, we see a ridiculous request that his disciples then bring right afterwards. But I want you to understand this, if nothing else, that Jesus leads his followers to sacrificial living as the path to, to true greatness. Jesus leads his followers to sacrificial living as the path to true greatness. And so we pick up in verse 32, and they're on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking, the tw- talk, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. This is the third time recorded in the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is telling his disciples what it means for him to be Messiah. The Jewish tradition had Messiah being a warrior king, walking in, destroying the Roman Empire, showing victory over the world, and once again helping them reign over all things. And this makes sense in that understanding as we get to the following dialogue. But this is the third time. Have you ever told somebody something more than one time and they still just don't get it? Moms? Dads? Older siblings? I was at a, a, a church planning conference a few weeks ago. And my, I was there with my publishing company, and we were giving out free books. Now, nothing's really free, right? And so I can understand the hesitancy. But before and after each session, they would get up to five, 600 people and say, this company has their books for free out there. Go out to their table, get a free book. We have free, free, like free out. People would still come up to the table and like, look around like they're about to commit a crime. You can tell who the former criminals were. They'd walk by, kind of steal it, put it in their bag, and walk off like they'd done something wrong. And so myself and one of our church planners that we sent out, Jonathan Brooks, were there, and we were like, no, no, seriously, they're really free. These books are free. And people are like, are they free? Yeah, they're free. You mean they're free? Yes, they're free. Humanity doesn't like to hear or process things that we don't comprehend we bring a selfishness into our communication amen or ouch we come wanting to hear specific things when we don't hear what we want to hear or what we think we ought to hear then we get frustrated or ignore it or don't process it 
Now notice, they were, they were getting to the place that, that where, in Mark's very interesting, as fast as the gospel is, to slow down and give these details. He says, and they were amazed. He had told them before, when we go back to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And those that were starting to catch on to that were a bit amazed that he was uh, still going to do that. Most of the time, if we tell you, hey, if you drive over to Third Ward in the middle of the night, you might get shot. Guess what most normal people do? They stay out of that place. Jesus now headed on. He's been beating the same drum. I'm going to go. Our own people will betray us. They will deny us. They will turn us over. They will mock us. They will spit upon us. They will kill me. And I'll be buried and then I'll rise again. And so, I mean, it seems a little crazy. Like, why would you want to do that? The reason why Jesus wanted to do that is because Jesus serves his followers through his sacrificial life and his sacrificial death. The sacrifices Jesus was making along the way wasn't just his death. His life was an offering. He gave of himself for his people. And so one commentator, I was looking, it says they were amazed and then they were afraid. Literally, they, they feared for their own safety. So they're following Jesus into the town in which he says he's going to be put to death, betrayed by his own people, put to death, crushed, and killed. They were amazed he was doing this and afraid that they're going. And Jesus, once again, being discerning Jesus, says, hey, here's what's going to happen. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, to, to our own people, See, the, the warrior king Messiah was coming for the Jewish people. The Jewish leaders and rulers should have been the first ones to identify him and grab hold of him and follow him and obey him. But he was very clear. So he's going to go to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death. And the reason why they condemned Jesus to death is for blasphemy. Because he claimed to be God. He claimed oneness with God. And so when, when you hear these uh, false religions claiming that Jesus was a good man, he was maybe a son of God, but he was not God, then why did they kill him? He was put to death because he claimed to be God. Why? Because he is. And he's telling his disciples, here's what's going to happen. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him, and kill him. They will take the King of the world, the Son of God, and do as the prophets had foretold. Humiliate, beat, torment, and kill. But don't miss the second part of verse 34. And after three days, he will rise. His sacrificial life, His sacrificial death is His service to those who follow Him. You've heard me say this before, but as I've observed a few weeks ago at the conference and as we see with Jesus, we forget. I want to remind you, you do not serve a Savior that invites you or calls you to do anything that He Himself has not done before. 
I'll say that again. You'll notice I get more and more repetitive because it takes a while for people to listen, myself included. We serve a Savior who has not, does not, or will not call us to anything that He Himself has not done Himself. The invitation is consistent with His character and His life and His example. The suffering you're enduring, He's endured more. The pain you're in, He's endured more. The loneliness you're feeling, He's been isolated more when He cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The alienation, the loneliness, the shame, the guilt, He took upon Himself, earning none of it. And so His service to you and I, to His followers, is that His sacrificial service in His life and in His death enables us to keep going. And I know there's some of you in this room that want to quit. Don't quit. Days when you're weak, days when you're done. Moms ever have a day where you're done? Some of you are thinking, I haven't had many days where I'm not. That's when the invitation of Jesus come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It needs to be a promise that you know will be kept. That's where we can move forward in obedience over comfort. That's how we know that we can trust Jesus in, in, in doing the harder things. Many of us move to areas like ours because we want to avoid hard things. We spend a lot of money to protect ourselves from hard things. Know what I found being your pastor? We still face hard things. There are certain things that this life brings us that no amount of wealth or security or protection can guard us from. And that's why having a suffering servant Savior that goes before us, who leads us, who carries us, who comforts us, is the motivation for obedience. He is the one in whom we find comfort. He is the one that understands when our spouse doesn't, our friends don't, our pastor may not. I want you to know, I try to empathize. There's a lot I don't know what to do. And so I pray, I seek counsel, I open the Bible. But you do have a person, your Savior, the suffering Savior, Jesus, who as He marched on His way to Jerusalem towards His death for you and I, was doing so in teaching along the way that his disciples might be able to carry the true and right gospel, the true and right identity of Jesus to communicate over the generations so that you and I might sit in an air-conditioned gym with nice lights and a stage that one day might kill me. To hear about the faithfulness of our Savior. Because I don't doubt even the wealthiest of you in this room don't sense deep within your profound need for something greater than yourself. smartest of us 
needs someone smarter. And there is one. His name is Jesus. So as Jesus is going towards his death, he gives a very clear explanation for the third time what's going to happen. He then gives the good news at the end, but he will rise again. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Um, this is the guy that just said he's going to go into Jerusalem and die for you and rise again. Some of you who are salespeople understand the upsell. You're going to make the extra ask. and Someone's already sold out to do something. You might as well get them to buy more. I'm not saying that's what these disciples were doing, but talk about the key of missing the point. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Kind of like if you're granted three wishes from a genie, what's the first one you ask for? Limitless wishes. Hey, you're about to go die and rise again, so while you're at it, maybe one of us could sit at your right and one of your left, and in royalty, that idea is places of power, places of authority, places of ruling over many. And so when you are once glorified, okay, the death thing, the resurrection thing, whatever, but after that, Jesus, can we sit at your right and sit at your left? They're jockeying for position. Someone's mommy already did that earlier in the gospel. And now these guys are just, they're bold. No, but seriously, I know you're about to die, but can one of us be at your right, one of us be at your left? And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Look, I know these dudes are like fishermen and carpenters and like other stuff like that. But if they had any cursory overview or understanding of the Old Testament and in connection with what Jesus just told them for the third time about dying, that perhaps they might be able to start putting together that the cup he's talking about is in a goblet of fortune. The cup often talked about in the Old Testament was a cup of wrath. The anger and resolve of God being poured out against his enemies. And Jesus says, are you able to drink this cup which has gone before me? And they say, we are able are you able to be baptized with the baptism of death and shame that I'm about to be baptized? We are able. And Jesus said to them, and, and again, I don't want to add more to Scripture than this here. Right? I like telling stories. I don't want to make up any. But what Jesus says to them here will then be realized later that we know about from church history and some from the Scriptures. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. 
What we see here is what's called a functional subordination. While Jesus is equal to the Father and Jesus is equal to the Holy Spirit, He is functionally subordinate to the authority of the Father while He's on earth. And He also understands the role of the Father as in the one who gets to give the authority and the placement at the right hand and left hand of Jesus. He is the one the Father who will say who gets to go where, and Jesus understanding his place says, that's not mine for that, that's not mine to give away. But here's what you will do: you will suffer the cup of wrath, and you will suffer the baptism, the death, but then in the new life. So even in this prophetic word to the disciples, it is sort of a mixed bag in that they will face the consequence for sin, which is death but they will also experience the power that is given to them through Christ, which is resurrection. Moms, dads, have you ever had a child ask you for things they don't really understand what they're asking for? You ever had a child want to cook their own mac and cheese, but forget to act, add the milk? I won't get too descriptive what the cheese looks like, but it's a nightmare. Jesus patiently and lovingly tells them, look, it's not mine for, for me to give. And I could at least make the assumption that it's not really that's what's important at the moment. And so I want to ask us, this is just a side note, it's not even in my notes, and it won't be on the slide on the screen. But how much of your godly obedience is in order to get something back from God? How much is your quiet time or your abstaining from things or your prayer or your evangelism or your service based upon some sort of transactional mentality with God? And then when something doesn't go your way, you're mad at God because you feel like He owes you something because you've done all this stuff for Him. I've been there. And I can say I understand what that feels like and I understand that way of thinking. And if I'm not careful, I can go back to that transactional mindset with God. I do for God, God does for me. If I don't do for God, God won't do for me. The reality is, is God continues to do for us even when we don't acknowledge Him. Friends, when will God be enough? The good news of the gospel is that we get God. We deserve the cup of wrath. We deserve death and hell. But through His Son, we get life eternal with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, both now and then forever. The cup of persecution and death may come our way. To his disciples, he said for them, it will. But apparently these two guys weren't the only ones that were concerned about position in the kingdom. Verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. How many of you have ever volunteered or served in youth ministry in any capacity? Show your, show your hands. Look around. God bless you. Praying for you. I mean, I kind of picture a youth group because these guys were young. These guys were younger than a lot of us in this room. 
They say Jesus was anywhere from 33 to 35 years old when he died. And so these guys were like, wait a minute, why do you guys, who knows what they were saying, but they became angry because they were asking this question. They overheard the conversation and they didn't like it. They were concerned also about their position. Maybe there was one of them, the, the theological Ted, that was just like, hey, that's not his place. Y'all are idiots. But I don't think that's what was going on. There was this desire for greatness, a desire to have authority, a desire to be able to use the power of Jesus for their own good. And Jesus called him to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. The outsiders, those who don't love God, they don't know God, they take their power and they become like little gods. In the Greco-Roman society, those who were rulers had all they could ever want, all power and authority, could get away with almost anything. And that's the type of power that Jesus is rebuking in his followers. You want to be great? Then that's not the way to do it. We're not going to be like the world in our leadership and in our rulership and be suppressive and oppressive. We are going to be different. And he says this, verse 43, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the previous passage, him telling them for the third time he's going to Jerusalem to be brutalized and murdered and rise again, they still come looking for self-preserving, self-glorifying positions of glory as opposed to understanding the example that was set before them. Rather than just becoming frustrated and yelling at them to go to their proverbial room, he sees this opportunity for a teachable moment. What's this really about? What's really going on? Do you want to be great? Be a servant. Moms, when you have all those thankless days, when people are all demanding of you all day long, then your husband shows up and hopefully serves well and loves you well, but sometimes it's demanding as well. You don't serve a Savior who doesn't understand that, but a Savior who died to cover that. That's where you'll find your strength. That's will, that will be your source of grace. Men, have you ever been trying to lead your home and it seems like everybody's doing opposite of what you're casting vision for? You have a Savior who understands. You have a Savior who died for their flaws and yours. Who's gone ahead of you. Who's suffered for you. Who invites you to true greatness which is thankless service. I'm often asked, what do you do all week long? Nothing. I'm not even good at golf, so I can't even use that one. I do know a pastor, I think he's retired now, he used to have a boat called Visitation. And so he would go out on Visitation 
And if you're not from Baptist background, that means go and visit people in the church. And so a secretary with full honesty could say, well, he's out on visitation right now. So honey, write that down. That might be an idea. Lake Conroe's not too far. You may want to go have these. No, I'm kidding. All right, so. I love being the pastor of Christ Community Church. And Stephanie and I were recently talking about we have a lot of young men and some women in our church who are like, man, I want to be in full-time ministry, full-time ministry, full-time ministry. You got to be careful for what you're asking. You got to be very careful. And this isn't bitter pastor having his way over you because I'm two weeks away from my vacation. I'm just going to say it and let the elders clean it up and you'll forget by the time I get back. I love being your pastor. I love walking with you, and I love the team the Lord's building. I love our elders. I love those who are serving behind the scenes. But be careful for what you ask for. And I'm not trying to deter anyone from full-time ministry, but I do try to talk people out of it a lot. Because I've seen many men start out and not end well. It is not an easy task. It's a spiritual task, caring for the souls of many people, grieving with those who grieve, celebrating with those who celebrate, being okay having people apply stories to you and false intentions and motives to you and, and learning to be okay with that. And let me tell you, if you're not following Jesus in the middle of that, it's not worth it. I'm not enough for you. Never have been, never can be. The elders here are not enough for you. The worship leaders, not enough. Volunteers, not enough. We are all here to point you to the eternal one who is enough. He is enough. He is the answer to your loneliness. He is the answer to your sickness. He is the answer to your sin and your addiction and your brokenness. He is the answer. That's the drum we're beating. You need Jesus. I want you to know Him and to long for Him and to love Him and to trust Him and to obey Him. Not for my good. Not so that I feel better about what I do, but so that you can have the treasure that was given for all who would believe. He's the prize. He's the treasure. He's what's worth it. He's what makes serving in children's ministry what is a thankless job, rocking babies and changing diapers and being told what to do and, and, and then having kids not listen to you and treat you like you're a fool. And then working with students, all you people who are crazy for God, we're just crazy. Working with teenagers who seem like they ignore you for about eight years and then eventually come back and say, hey, I remember you said this one time. And sometimes it's not the right thing that you want them to remember. Look, we're all called to ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be a disciple of Jesus. You're called to live sacrificially. You're called to live not of this world and differently. You're called to give generously, financially, and with your time. You're called to sacrifice because in sacrifice, you're then walking the way of Jesus. In sacrifice, you're beginning to taste and see what it's like to follow in his footsteps. And the only way 
that we are able to do so is with the promises that were kept through the resurrection. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Number two is this, Jesus leads his followers to a path of death that ultimately leads to life. Do you want to be alive? Then come and die. I know some of you think like, that's not a very good invitation. The Son of Man came. He's telling them, you want to be great? Serve. Sacrifice. Give. Be alive. Paul writes it beautifully in Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite passages, verses in Scripture. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's a reorientation of our identity. A shift of focus. Disalignment with Christ is following Him to the point of death where our identity isn't just what we want us to be identified as, but rather we live identifying with the One who gave Himself for us on our behalf. People ask what I do. Well, if I can tell they're not a believer, I tell them I'm a spiritual tour guide. At least buys me some time. I pray for you. I study the Word. Your elders come and spend hours upon hours navigating very difficult things. John Fox and Robert Pander, who are both elder candidates here, showed up with me on Friday over at the Ellis' house. He stood there and helped and prayed. And then once everything was done and moved on, they cleaned up the house so that the family could go in. It's not glamorous. That's not going to get Instagram. But it was great. It was great. Some of you have been called to lead and you're avoiding that call. Some of you have been called to serve and you're avoiding that call to serve. In the name of Jesus Christ, I urge you to repent. It's not about you. Life is too short. Twenty to 30,000 people in a five-mile radius who don't know the name of Jesus, and if they do, they do not care yet. You want to be great? You serve. You share. You call. You exhort. You live a crucified life so you might live with the resurrected one. Here's the deal. I know many of you are checklist people. If you're thinking, like, all right, what are some ways you get to do a stout or, you know, you know, whatever your Trello or whatever you like. Okay, here's eight things I'm going to do right now to sacrifice. Stop. It starts with a yes. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Yes, Jesus, I will begin to adjust my identity in Christ. And therefore, if I'm in Christ, my old way, my old rights, my old kingdom's been put to death. Now, as a resurrected one with Christ, I will live through the lenses of your word for your kingdom 
whether it's being a lawyer or a doctor or a salesperson or a mom or a dad or a professor or whatever it is, a student. Because number three, the new life that Jesus gives to his followers empowers them to live sacrificially. When I get a call like I get on Friday, I don't want to go, just so you know. When I get hard news or your marriage is falling apart again or things are hard, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'd rather, Stephanie's like, can you get a job that like, you come home at five and you get 2.5 weeks off and you just get rated on your performance and maybe you get a bonus? She knows I would. I probably wouldn't do that. But I would if I wasn't called. The love of Christ constrains me. It compels me. 2 Corinthians 5.14 Because I'm convinced of this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5, it's not on the screen. 14 on. I'm not here for a job. I'm here for a calling. And the calling has been always to come and call you out of darkness into light. From death to life. From mundane, bored selfishness and addiction to the mirror to liberty and freedom in Christ. To live on mission. To see lives transformed. To serve as spiritual midwives. To forgive more often than not. And when we're not, we repent. The new life that Jesus gives to His followers empowers them to live sacrificially. That's when He tells them, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Follow Him. Moms, you're giving of your life, but it's not in vain. Christian moms, when you give of your life and teaching your children the way that he or she should go, even when they depart from it short term, the seeds have been planted. People are watering it. God is faithful to His promises. Listen, I know our logic tells us to know God more. We need more Bible studies. We need more Christian events. We need more Christian godly things to do. Let me tell you, I've tried a lot of that. I've been a Jesus junkie. Metro Bible study on Monday. Tuesday night small group. Thursday night hang out with friends at the coffee shop. Fight Calvinism. Read 18 books. Talk about all the 18 books I'm reading. Talk about little clips I've read from those 18 books. I sound smart. It's weird how dead I felt on the inside when I was overeating and I was becoming a fat sheep. You want to know what makes me feel alive in Christ? Is taking what I've learned, actually applying it with my wife and now my daughters and my neighbors and my friends and with unbelievers and with y'all and saying, okay, let's, let's take what we know and let's try to apply it. And man, it's harder than it feels, but, but let me tell you this. I, I promise you this. You want to know Jesus more intimately? You want more of God? Sacrifice. Deny. There's more of God to be had, and it's not found giving in always to our comfort. It's found through sacrificial service. It's found in sacrificial giving. It's found in radical forgiveness. That points to Jesus. 
Some of you have aspirations to be a, an elder or a pastor or a church planter. You've heard me say it before. If we've talked about it, serve. Serve. Lead somewhere. And if people are following, that might be a sign that you're called. Serve. And listen, many of you do. And I want to make sure my eyebrows are up because sometimes I start scowling at people and I'm not scowling, I'm not mad. You all are generous in your time, you're generous with your money. But we need to start being more generous with the gospel, with those who don't know. We have to. Days like Friday remind me that this life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And the most important thing needs to be the most important thing. Jesus leads his followers to sacrificial living as a path to true greatness. He died and rose again so that we might live a great life. The good news for us is that this isn't the only life we have. Let's pray.